Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essay speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. We would also like to inform you of an upcoming Sexaholics Anonymous Internet Marathon. Around the World in 24 Hours will take place starting at noon Universal Time on November 29th and will end properly at noon Universal Time on November the 30th. It's free to register online at www.sim.sexaholicsanonymous.eu. Thank you very much, and without further ado, welcome to The Daily Reprieve. Hi, my name is Mark E. I'm from San Antonio, Texas. I'm a recovering sexaholic. My sobriety date is December 14th of 2007. Uh, I've been asked to talk this morning about pages one and two of the white book, and I've been told to keep it to under 10 minutes, so I'm going to try my best to do that. I'm reading to the newcomer what works for us. I'll, I'll break at the end of each paragraph. The first paragraph under what works for us. Those of us who are recovering in Sexholics Anonymous were driven here by many different forms of the same problem. Some of us fit society's stereotypes of what a sexholic might be, and some of us did not. Some of us were driven to buy or sell sex on the streets, others to have it anonymously in bars or public places. Some of us found ourselves in painful and destructive affairs or consumed by an unhealthy obsession with a particular person or succession of persons. Many of us kept our obsessions to ourselves, resorting to compulsive masturbation, pictures, fetishes, voyeurism, or exhibitionism. Some of us victimized others, and with many of us, our compulsions took a toll on family, co-workers, and friends. Very often, we felt that we were the only ones who could not stop, that we were doing this, whatever it was, against our will. Okay, that's the first paragraph, and what steps out, what jumps out for me there is the laundry list of acting out behaviors that, again, when someone walks in the door the first time they open a white book, that's kind of what they're focused on. Is this program going to help me with what I do? Um, the cool thing is, look at how Roy talks about many different forms of the same problem. So he's already trying to to instill in us the idea that it's not about what we do with our body parts. This program is not about what we do with our hands or our eyes. It's about what happens between our ears. What does lust do in our brain? And I love the way in the last sentence, Roy says, very often we felt that we were the only ones who could not stop, that we were doing this, then he puts in hyphen, whatever it was, and then two hyphens against our will. The point of the hyphens is whatever it was, because it doesn't matter. The point is we were doing something against our will and we could not stop. That's the part to make, uh, the, the part that really talks to me about how to, how to bring the newcomer through this part of the book. Um, in fact, as I read these paragraphs, I wonder why in San Antonio this isn't our newcomer welcome packet. I mean, it's wonderful. It's exactly what a newcomer needs to see, in my opinion. All right, number second paragraph. When we came to SA, we found that in spite of our differences, we shared a common problem, the obsession of lust, usually combined with a compulsive demand for sex in some form. We identified with one another 
on the inside. Whatever the details of our problem, we were dying spiritually, dying of guilt, fear, and loneliness. As we came to see that we shared a common problem, we also came to see that for us, there is a common solution. The 12 steps of recovery practiced in a fellowship on a foundation of what we call sexual sobriety. See pages 191 to 193. Okay, another great paragraph. We, we, we want to come in and we want to look at our differences. We want to find that thing that's going to make us different from everyone else that gives us the justification to say this program won't work. And my sponsor calls that terminal uniqueness. The thing that makes us unique will end our lives, terminal uniqueness. So, uh, so Roy talks about that a little bit. And, and the common part is we all felt like we were dying of guilt, fear, and loneliness. And then, you know, I would add in the big shame in there, the shame of our disease. Um, and I love this, this last part, too. The common solution, very briefly for us, the 12 steps practiced in a fellowship on a foundation of sexual sobriety and then he puts in basically see the sobriety definition this is a, again the opportunity to take someone new right to the sobriety definition let them see what SA is about um, this is also the paragraph where Roy introduces the term lust Okay, that we share a common problem, the obsession of lust. He also brings in spirituality here. Okay, so this is another really wonderful foreshadowing paragraph of what's coming in the rest of the book. Continuing on to read, our definition of sobriety represents for us the basic and necessary condition for lasting freedom from the pain that brought us to essay. We have found that nothing else works. When we have tried to deny what our common experience has taught us, we have found that recovery still eludes us. And this seems to be true whether we are male or female, married or single, whether our acting out was with the same or opposite sex, whether our relationships were committed, meaningful or one-night stands, or whether we just resorted to a little sex with self as a physical outlet. As the men and women of Alcoholics Anonymous learned over 50 years ago, Half measures availed us nothing. Again, Roy, in my opinion, starts talking about terminal uniqueness. Quit looking at what you do for the difference. And he also, again, the point is it's not about what we do with our hands or our eyes, where we put our private parts. It's about what happens in our brain. Okay? And he's setting, he's giving the idea already that to come into SA, it's not just to quit seeing prostitutes, but still keep looking at pornography and acting out with yourself as a physical outlet. Okay? We can't just change the way our lust manifests. We must have sexual sobriety and progressive victory over lust. A uh, little side note here. I was once in a another S fellowship before I found SA, and Someone actually said this at a meeting, and it was one of my last meetings <laughs> because of some of the things that I saw like this, where he said, the, my problem with this program will be fixed or when I, 
when I discover my best bottom line, meaning when I decide what I really don't want to do anymore, then I'll be sober and all my problems will be fixed. And there's a guy that had come in for six weeks in a row and failed to meet his own bottom line, so he just kept making it easier. And that was how the program, his program was supposed to work for him. And I knew right then that that fellowship was not going to work for me. Okay, so this is an opportunity to talk about the, 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 the reason for the, the common uh, sobriety definition, in my opinion. And that great, that great part, half measures availed us nothing. We can't just go from drinking hard liquor to drinking alcohol to drinking wine if we want to be sober from alcohol. We can't take those half measures. Okay, then from there, the last two paragraphs I'll read together. We don't claim to understand all the ramifications of sexual sobriety. Some of us have come to believe that there is a deeper spiritual significance in sexual sobriety, while others simply report that without a firm and clear bottom line, our cunning, baffling, and powerful sexholism takes over sooner or later. Nor do we claim that sobriety alone will lead to a lasting and joyous recovery. Like alcoholics, we can be dry without being sober in a deeper sense. We don't even claim that sexual sobriety will make one feel better immediately. We, like other addicts, can go through withdrawal symptoms when we give up our drug. Nonetheless, in spite of the questions, struggles, and confusion that we have gone through, we find that sexual sobriety is truly the key to a happy and joyous freedom that we could otherwise never know. That's why we keep coming back to SA. We have a solution. We don't claim that it's for everybody, but it but for us, it works. If you identify with us and think you may share our problem, we'd like to share our solution with you. What a great way to, to end an introduction for someone who you've just handed a white book to. We have a solution. You, Roy puts two things, the onus is on the newcomer for two things. Do you identify with us and do you share our problem? If so, we can share our solution with you. Thanks for listening. I'm at my time limit now. Uh, may you be well today. Good morning, everyone. Farley Grateful Recovering Sexaholic. Sexually sober since June 18th of 1998, a date for which I can never be sufficiently grateful. I've been asked to read uh, on page three to the newcomer in a white book and just give a short lead on it. Um, very passionate about this, so I'll just ask you up front to uh, when when I speak a little bit about this in the lead, I'm I do tend to get a little carried away, so uh, forgive me for that. Anyways, I'll start with the reading of these three simple paragraphs, and then I'll talk about it a little bit. Uh, page three, a caution. We suggest that newcomers to Sexaholics Anonymous not reveal their sexual past to a spouse or family member who does not already know of it. Without careful consideration and a period of sexual sobriety, and even then, only after prior discussion with an essay sponsor or a group. Typically, we come into the program. 
I'm sorry, typically when we come into the program, we want to share our excitement with those closest to us until all right away. Such disclosures might injure our family or others and should be confined to the group of which we are part until a wise course is indicated. Of course, if there is any chance we have put others in dangers, we take immediate steps to try and correct that. Few things can so damage the possibility of healing in the family as a premature confession to a spouse or family where sacred bonds and trusts have been violated. Unwittingly, such confessions can be attempts on our part to dump our guilt, get back into good graces, or take just another show, or I'm sorry, make just another show of willpower. Great caution is advised here. Amends to family must begin with a sexually sober, changed attitude and behavior on a daily basis. Then as we grow in recovery, we will find how to make direct amends. Help from a sponsor and group is indispensable here. There's always a way if we really want to make things right. So that simple little statement here, I, I want to mention that. This is reiterated on, I believe it's page 127 of this book, where it talks again after step nine about being careful about making amends, you know, and, and not just recognizing that it's, uh, it's an opportunity for you to get clean and dump things. That's really what not amends are meant for. At any rate, um, I just want to go over a few points here. Um, what does it say? We want to share our excitement with those closest to us and tell all right away. God, that was, that was, uh, your friend Farley here. I, I became known as the Johnny Appleseed of, uh, essay. I was going to, um, other groups and, uh, forums, support networks, other, uh, 12 step groups and leaving pamphlets everywhere and telling anyone who had any kind of issue with sex, about my wonderful program, none of the people I talked to ever stayed in this program. And for those who cannot stop and are true sexaholics, you know, they, they just have a little problem there. It's, it's not like me, you know, uh, today I recognize I cannot save anyone, not even myself. You know, it's, it's it, that, what that alone was an act of, uh, of willpower. And it also says like checking in with a sponsor, a group is essential. You know, I, I, I want to put this out there right now. Do not make decisions. When you first come into this program, do not trust your own sexaholic brain to tell you the right thing to do. Um, it says in the second paragraph here that, um, uh, you know, we're, I'm sorry, at the bottom of the first paragraph, if there's any chance we put others in danger, we take immediate steps to try and correct that. I kind of have a very short list of um, what those things might be, is as there, if there's a possibility of STIs or STDs, if, if you've been checked and you do have one, I think you'd, you'd, you'd better be prepared to, uh, to bring that up further. You know, I had a friend who said that, you know, he got it from a, 
you know, a, a bathroom or a locker or something and whatever, you know, it's, it's just, you have to be so careful about how you do this. You do not want to start dumping all your stuff. You know, the only other thing I can think of is if there's a jealous husband coming after you or, or maybe a fatal attraction, then you want to protect your family. Um, going on a little further here, it, it's, I, I think this is really important where it talks about uh, unwittingly such confessions can be attempts on our part to dump our guilt, get back into good graces, or just make another show of willpower. There's great caution is advised here. I, I just want to say this outright because uh, I've seen this with so many people coming to the program. Uh, and, and, and you may not get this. As a newcomer, you may not get this. But for those who have been around for a while, I, I, I need to say this, and I need to say it quite strongly. Is your wife will not be your sponsor or higher power. If you unconsciously put her in this role, You'll be damaging your marriage further as you try to further atone your shame and guilt. Do not put her in this role. Do not expect that by you telling her everything that she is going to, first of all, say, okay, well, thank you for being honest and, you know, and everything is, is good from here on. It does not work that way. That, that is putting your wife into, in a role of being someone who has to look after you, you sick sexaholic, that this is not the right thing to do. Um, I also want to say that every temporary or new sponsor should have their sponsees reread this section, these three paragraphs, many times every day, so they do not forget that this, you know, because they'll be saying, oh, I just want to get honest. I just, I just need to be honest. I just need to do this to make things better. No, you do not. I've just seen so much damage, so much damage done by people who just don't seem to get the fact that, as it says in the last paragraph, you need a period of recovery. You need a changed attitude. You need to be doing it at least steps one, two, three, surrender every day on a continual basis and be going to as many meetings as you can so that you you can at least have some sense that this program can work for you. I also want to say therapists who demand full disclosure and hope of beginning healing with total honesty have not had any experience of dealing with newcomers. Every time they act out again and again and have to get honest again and again, they break trust again and again unconsciously dumping shame and guilt again and again, and they wonder why their wife or husband cannot forgive them. I have to say, well-meaning therapists are not recovering addicts. They should be used as assistance in healing family dysfunction as growth and recovery deepens. Knowing why I acted out never kept me from acting out or solved my sexualism. Knowing why will never give me power over my disease. Surrendering to a power greater than me is the only thing that seems to work. I, I just want to say, and in, in, in maybe a last comment here, as I was recently on a long-term sobriety panel at the Northwest Regional Retreat, and there was um, three long-term SA members and three 
long-term assonance. And everybody on that panel strongly agreed that this section of the white book should be adhered to. The assonance were more adamant about it than the essays and saying they did not want to hear every detail. They did not want all this stuff to be dumped on. They do not want to continue to hear this. They've got enough to work on. They're working on themselves. They're working on discovering what complementary dysfunctions that they had that a lot that that they picked a sexaholic as their life partner. They've got enough stuff to work on. They don't want to constantly hear details and how many times you've tried to get sober and and you've lost your sobriety. They they don't want to hear that. That's between the sexaholic and the sponsor. They just hope that something can be salvaged in their relationship as the recovering sexaholic changes their life and becomes the person that they believe they were marrying. And that they can build a life, a new life, going forward where there is mutual respect and 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 a very deep level so i i really hope that this helps somebody i i i really want to mention that you know this is i i as a as a sponsor so many times i've had people come into the program who have dumped all this stuff come in and never ever really get um, get that this is a program that they require in their lives to have real change in their lives. They figure because they've got honest and everything is good at home, that it's very easy for them to act out again and again and again and again. And it's just, it's just devastating. I, uh, yeah, there's a lot of healing to be done. And I think this is a really good way to start is just keep rereading this. If you have any doubt about what you should be doing when you first come in and, um, yeah, I'm Farley, a grateful recovering sexaholic. Thank you for listening.